Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. So man, it's good to be with you if you're here uh, to celebrate somebody's baptism. We want to welcome you here and in Montgomeryville. If you're joining us online, it's good to be with you as well. Uh, I told you a few weeks ago, I said we're going to start a new sermon series uh, today, and I was going to start one on marriage and relationships, and I just felt a check in my spirit after Sunday night. I'm not sure why, and so something changed, and I was like, I want to do, I have a couple, I always have a bunch of ideas that I'm kind of praying on, and I just felt like we would take a quick detour, and I want to do a three-week sermon series entitled Grippy Sock Vacation. I want to give you a little background of where that comes from. Uh, If you're under the age of 25, maybe you've heard this phrase before. If you're over the age of 25, like me, I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of background of where this came from. And so uh, I get my message, my my news from yahoonews.com. And so uh, Yahoo. And so which ages me. I get it. And so, but I'm a creature of habit. And so uh, I, I, a few weeks ago, I was reading through this article that caught my attention. One being, it was uh, an article written about young people. And I have two sons, 13 and 15. And so I'm very interested in the state of young people and the culture that they live in. And then also I'm a pastor. And so uh, my, my heart is to share the message of Jesus with people uh, that feel far from God. And so anytime that I can get insight on how people are, 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 are feeling, what their emotional state is, I want to I study that and research that. And so I read this article, and the start of the article, the title was, I Need a Grippy Sock Vacation, breaking down the Gen Z slang term for a trip to an inpatient psychiatric facility. And so it caught my attention. Uh, it started like this. It's pretty heavy. It said, American adolescents has been widely reported are not okay. In fact, I'm just reading, I want to read it to you. I'm not, I don't want to, in fact, they're facing such an intense mental health issues spurred on by the pandemic, but also predating it, that the U.S. Surgeon General has warned of a devastating situation. Many hospitals and caregivers have declared a national emergency, and a new national poll has found that many parents and educators believe that the problem is growing and that schools are not equipped to offer help that's needed. Add to that the fact that suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people ages 15 to 24, and it's clear that Gen Z is facing a major crisis. Gen Z is also known, the the article says, for their particular brand of sarcasm, which I, I like about them. And they appear to be coping through the use of a clever, if not jarring, a humorous statement, and it goes something like this, my life is being is awful right now, and I'm feeling tempted to get a break from life by getting myself a grippy sock vacation. Let me make it practical. After last Sunday night, after that terrible call leading to the Eagles' loss, my heart is broken, and it would be better if we would just not made it in the first place. I need a grippy sock vacation. I need a break. My mind is, is wearing on me. The state of my emotions are, are cracking. I need a break. It would be nice. It would almost feel like a vacation to get checked into the hospital just so I could get away from this. Sounds a lot like Jesus to me. Stuff, stuff hasn't changed a lot for people. Jesus was around. Life wasn't much better. People weren't in a much better state. 
Their, their life was just as bad. In fact, Jesus said this one time in Matthew 9. He says, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, and he taught in their churches or their synagogues, and he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were not mentally handling life well. They were cracking. There was too much pressure on them. They, they were filled with fear and worry and doubt. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you on this concept because I believe that Jesus offers us something better than a vacation from this life. Instead, he wants us to have victory. Victory. I started thinking about it. He doesn't offer you a break from your pain because some of you, you you just want to check out. He gives you the power to break free. He gives you the power of freedom. You don't get to escape reality with Jesus, but Jesus can and will reshape it if you let him. I thought I would get a little bit more from you guys. Are we that bad? I need a grippy sock vacation. I need a break mentally. So I want to talk to you over the next few weeks over three areas that I have found in my life that many people struggle with mentally that Jesus offers freedom in. Next week, we're going to take a look at bitterness, bitterness. Some of you are so mad right now. You're so angry. You're so bitter. You're so butthurt. We can say whatever you want. You're, you're, just, you're, you're, you're angry at somebody's, somebody that did something to you and you think it's actually hurting them. And I want to talk to you uh, about how Jesus gives us freedom over bitterness. The last week, we're going to take a look at anxiety, anxiety. I, I believe that Jesus can give you freedom from anxiety. I, I know it's hard because it's a multi-billion dollar industry to keep us drugged up so that we don't have to deal emotionally with what we've gone through. And I'm not preaching against that at all. I, I just think that Jesus has a better way. Uh, Jesus can give freedom. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's freedom. That Jesus can help you cope with the life that you've been in and help to reshape it. And today I want to start with what I think is the most uh, important aspect of mental health that I see people struggling with, uh, that people try to get away from at, at all costs. I'm going to talk to you about shame, 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 shame. It's easy to feel it. It's hard to see it. Well, one person said shame is a... Uh, Shame is the strongest emotion that people feel. It's a soul-eating emotion. Another person said, shame is the most powerful emotion. It's the fear that you're not good enough, that what you did cannot be forgiven. And it's, it's a, an emotion that if you let it, will paralyze you and put you under a burden that is almost suffocating. And we can talk about shame for hours. Every one of us in here has experienced shame. Something we've done, something that was done to us, a failure that we made that maybe nobody even knows about yet. Some of you in, in, in this room in Montgomeryville, you have, you're struggling with failure right now. Like, and nobody knows. I'm not talking about the people who come into this place and everybody can see that you're at the end. I'm talking about the good, the good church people. People that keep it all together week after week after week. But if somebody were to get really into your story... They would see you struggling with the shame of of a current failure, not a past failure, but something you're currently struggling with, something that is literally defining and and burdening your life, and you're carrying around shame. If I were to find a passage in Scripture that would define you, it would be Psalms 44, where the psalmist says, I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame. 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 
And here's why shame is such an important thing to discuss in church. Because shame, no matter how much you have of it, can never change you. It offers no way out. But I thought often about different moments in my life where I've felt shame or I've tried to use shame to motivate change. And all of us have had kids in the past. And, you know, my, my youngest son, Harrison, when he was very young, he used to have accidents in the, in the, on, on the bed. I don't know if anybody else had that. And it got annoying. And uh, one day he was probably three or four years old and he had an accident and it was one or two times in the week of him having it. And I'm like, we got to figure this out. And, you know, the habit was over and over and over again, he would make the mistake and I would clean it up. It just felt wrong. So the one day he was probably three or four years old. I'm like, you're going to help me today. And he was like, what do you mean? I'm like, take your sheets off your bed, carry them down the steps and put them in the washer and you're going to do it yourself. You're going to learn the, the results of your, your mistakes, right? And so he did that, and I was just, just here to tell you, that didn't change anything. He didn't carry it down and go, this is so much work. I'm never going to do this again. It didn't, shame didn't change him. And I can only talk to you about it because I don't feel shame anymore because I live with grace, right? And so, but in that moment, I was like, I'm going to change you with, with shame. And some of you, this is the life you live. You think, if I just have enough shame in my life and I work hard enough at it, eventually it'll change and I'll be broken from it and I'll walk in freedom. And this is why God is not a God of shame because God is a God of change and not enough shame can bring any amount of change to your life. In fact, I want to show you a story in Scripture in the book of Matthew chapter 27. And when I think of shame, I always think of Judas. If you don't know the Bible at all, just a little background on Judas. Most of us have heard the name Judas in, 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 in some form at some point. Uh, but Judas was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was close with Jesus. He was a, a friend of Jesus. Uh, Jesus and him were so close that he was in charge of the money that they used to travel to do, do the earthly ministry of Jesus. And so he, 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 was, he was close enough but with Jesus to be trusted with the money, right? And so you don't give the person the money, the money you don't like, you know what I'm saying? And so him and Judas were, were friends. And something happens in their relationship where Judas turns his back on Jesus and he ends up selling Jesus out for 30 silver coins to the religious leaders who then take him to the Romans and they put him on trial. They crucify him on a cross and they kill him. So Judas sells him out. And if you read the story in the Gospels, he leads the, 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 the religious leaders to where Jesus was praying. You can just see the moment. It's Judas and the religious leaders and they're coming to get Jesus to take him to crucify him. And he sees the face of Jesus. The Bible says that he has the money, but he begins to feel the shame of what he had done. And one of the saddest parts of scripture is, is, is Matthew 27, where the Bible says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, the Bible says he was seized with remorse. Seized is a shame word. He was seized. He was imprisoned. He didn't know, have any way out. He didn't know where to turn. He was seized with remorse, the Bible says. The Bible says, then he returned the 30 silver pieces to the chief priests and to the elders. He says, I have sinned. And they say, he says, I've portrayed innocent blood. And they say, what is this to us? That's your responsibility. That's what shame says. You messed up. It's your responsibility. You had the abortion. It's your responsibility. You got the divorce. It's your responsibility. You're the addict. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. You abandoned your family. It's your responsibility. You lied. It's your responsibility. Clean up, clean up the mess. You carry around the weight of your past. It's your responsibility. 
They say to him, hey, Judas, we don't have any part in this. This is your responsibility. You clean it up. To which the Bible says that Judas then throws the money at the, at the feet of, of the, in the temple, and he leaves, and the Bible says that he goes away, and he kills himself. He goes away, and he, and he, and he hung himself. And we read it quickly, but the truth is, all you see is shame in this moment. Let me give you a few thoughts that I had when, when I was thinking about Judas, what he's struggling with in this moment that I think some of you could relate to that are actually lies, but a lie believed as truth will affect you as if it's true. They're actually not true, but oftentimes they sound true-ish, so they affect us as if they're true when it comes to shame. First one is this, is God wants me to pay it back. I want, to, I want you to understand, God does not expect you, sorry, to stay in remorse. God does not expect you to, to stay sorry. When you mess up, when you fall short, when you let something into your life that doesn't bring glory to God, when, when, when you have a past, whatever you're going through in your life, the first thing we begin to believe is God wants us to stay, stay sorry. If I'm sorry, that's where God wants me. He wants me to feel like this. He wants me to carry this around. He wants me to embrace this. He, he, he wants me to be, to, be, to be sorry, which is, I think, where Judas was. Here's why I'm going to fix this. I'm going to be sorry. I, 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 I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry for selling you out for 30 silver coins. What do they say? What, what is that to us? Well, that's your responsibility. Your, your pain is your responsibility. And I just want to remind you that God, when you mess up, the first thing he doesn't ask you to do is, is stay in remorse. To walk around, and it feels good, and stay sorry, and carry it around. And, and in fact, uh, one time on, when I was studying on the effects of shame, I landed on this illustration uh, that was such a perfect example of what happens to us when we stay, when we stay in remorse. And so the Romans, they, had, they were great at inventing ways to torture people on the way to death. So they, they, they were great at the cross, right? Uh, even though they didn't invent crucifixion, they perfected crucifixion. And that's how Jesus died, at the hands of the Romans on a cross. Another way that they would crucify or, or hurt people at that time is if you murdered somebody, sometimes instead of putting you to death or locking you up in prison, they would take the person that you murdered and they would chain them face to face with you. And you would literally the rest of your life have to walk around and look at the decaying corpse of the mistake that you've made. It was torture. And some of you are there. You think God wants me to continue to look and to see and to wrap. Okay, all the awful things that I've done, to think about it. Man, I, I, my oldest son, he has great qualities in his life. He has some bad qualities in his life. You know, nobody's perfect. One of the greatest qualities in his life that is also a bad quality, in my opinion, sometimes is his ability to move through things quickly. And what I mean is, there's times where he just doesn't feel very sorry very long. Anybody else have a kid like that? Like he can do something, go to bed. I can take something away from him the night before that he got in trouble for. And the next day he can wake up. He's done it before. And ask me to give him the thing that I took the night before because we're done with it, right? Like we're done. You're done being mad, right? And so I, I, sometimes it makes me so mad. But sometimes I'm like, man, that's the greatest attitude and spiritual discipline to have with, with God. That we don't stay in our sin and in our sorrow for very long because that's not where God wants us to live. He doesn't ask us to stay in remorse. Here's another one. He doesn't ask me to pay it back. You see what he tried to do? He tried to pay it back. And so many times in church, I, I've experienced this in, in my life, is instead of us allowing Jesus to pay our price in full, right? We sing that song, that old song, you've been here, Jesus paid it all. 
all for, for, for us, right? Like, I don't know all the words. I'm not going to sing them to you right now. And so I'll mess them up anyways. And so, but we sing that thing. Jesus paid it all. But we don't believe that. So we actually come to church as a result of trying to pay God back. We, we, we serve, try to pay him back. We give a little bit of money. got to try to pay him back. got to try to make sure me and God are good and we actually become worse. You ever been there? We actually become more miserable and more religious and more angry and then we start hiding stuff because we're like, well, if God doesn't know about that, then I'll have to pay that back. And we start pretending we're better than we're at and we overcompensate. And, you know, it, it, it's this whole thing. And I'm just telling you, God doesn't ask us not only to stay in remorse and he doesn't expect me to pay it back. And let me give you one other thought. God doesn't want you to die where you're at right now. God does not ask you to die here. It was not God's will, I don't believe, that Judas went out and ended his life in a spot of shame, not giving the Lord a chance to forgive him. I don't think that he was supposed to stay there and be seized with remorse and try to pay it back and eventually come to the conclusion that this is just the way that it's supposed to be. It can't be fixed. If Jesus does come back from the dead, I'm in trouble. So I better go off and I better kill myself before he kills me. And some of you are there right now. Some of you are in shame and, and right now you're convinced this is just my life. This is just where I'm supposed to stay. This is, this is my future relationships are going to be affected by this. My, my, my family is going to be affected by this. Uh, what God wants to do with my life is going to be affected by this. God can't use me. and you, I, I'm just supposed to stay here in this broken piece of a vessel that I am, these broken pieces. God doesn't want you to die there. And so what do you got to do? You got to keep walking. I, I think if, Jesus, if Judas would have just kept staying alive for just a few more days, Jesus would have came back from the dead. And like he did with so many of his other disciples, he would have found Judas and said, hey, you messed up, but you're not messed up. You failed, but you're not a, a failure. I still got a good plan for your life because my entire ministry is built on grace and redemption. And you, my friend, need it. Like, we... You're not supposed to die here in this moment. So what do you do? You got to keep, keep walking, right? You got to keep, keep moving. And so let me just give you three, three steps, three steps to get through your shame. Number one is this. I don't care where you've been, what you're carrying, what you've done, what you've been through, what, what you're holding right now, what your secret is. First thing you need to do is discern the voice. And here's why. There's a voice in your head that's telling you, keep quiet, smile, get through this. You looked up at the clock. You're, okay, he has 16 minutes. He'll be done soon. Let me just get out of here. You know, let me just pretend. I sang a song today. Everybody thinks I got it together, right? I'm going to go serve. Everybody thinks I'm fine. I'm carrying around the shame of my life. I messed up. You know, I've fallen short. I did this thing years ago nobody knows about, but I, I've kind of cleaned my mess up, and you're listening to the wrong voice in your head. And some of you don't want to admit that you hear voices, but we all do. Some of them are the voice of Satan. Some of them are the voice of a parent. Sometimes it's the voice of a teacher. Sometimes it's the voice of somebody that spoke something negative over to you. And right now you're saying to yourself, I am what they said I was. I did do what they said that I was going to do. Some of you listening to Satan and he's telling you right now, keep it still, keep it quiet, play it cool, get out of here, stay, stay in your spot. And I'm just telling you, if you want to walk through shame, you got to discern the voice in, in your head because it always starts. Listen, healing always starts with a little bit of discomfort. It's known as conviction. Not condemnation. Condemnation says you're wrong. 
It shows you the what's wrong, but it never shows you the way out. It's loud. It's, it's condemning. It's confusing. It's angry. It tells you to hide. Conviction is a still soft voice in your head telling you, I got something better for you. I can clean it up if you give it to me. I can make a way where there seems to be no way. I can heal you if you stop holding it. We can do this. There's a different voice that is functioning inside of your head right now if you listen to it. There's the voice of, uh, of Satan and there's the voice of our Savior. In fact, I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 7. It says, even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you. This is the, the heart of a pastor. He says, man, I'm going to tell you something painful. And at first it hurts you and it kind of made me feel bad. But then it didn't make me feel bad. That's what he's saying. And so he's saying, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. That's the goal of every message, by the way. I don't know if you saw all these revivals going on all over, all over the country. It's, it's, it's all this stuff starting to happen. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. The beginning of every revival was repentance. That's, what, that's where God's presence is drawn to. Uh, uh, repentance says, I trust God's reaction to my sin. And I know his reaction to my sin because I've witnessed his son on the cross. I know what he's willing to do for me to get back to me. So I trust that I can bring the worst of my life because Jesus took it upon himself on that cross and he finished it. And it's through him that I become a brand new person. And so you look at him, you go, I can bring my repentance back, back to God. The Bible says, if you bring that verse back up, it says, for you became sorrowful as God intended. And so you were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. There, there's a voice that is calling you to freedom today. You need to discern Discern the voice. Condemnation says, stay away, hide, be, be secretive. Everybody else has it all, to, all together. Conviction says, hey, take a look to your right or left. Just go ahead and do that right now. Take a look to your right or left. You're sitting by screwed up people <laughs> all over the place. The only reason some of us are here is because of Jesus Christ. That's conviction. It's just, it's just he has, the Holy Spirit has a sense of humor. He's like, you, remember the movie, I See Dead People? Remember that whole thing? He's like, I see, you know, sinners all over the place. You got to discern the voice. Here's, here's the second thing you got to do. You got to decide, decide the truth. And here's why I say decide the truth. Because truth that's not decided to be true in your life will not affect you as truth. How many years have they told us that cigarettes will kill us? Some of you are like, it's the government. They're lying. right? We don't trust anything. Let's just pretend, right, that... Nobody, everybody is good, right? Nobody's out to get you. Let's just say that. But they've told us for years, this is probably not good for you. They tried to make them really expensive, $1,700 for a pack, right? You're literally having to tap into your IRA to smoke now. And so, right? And what do we do? They, they, it's not like they've fallen off the face of the earth. The, the still the very first thing that you see when you're checking out at Wawa, what is it? It's tobacco. They still know people are going to buy it, even though truth says this isn't good for you, right? And so you have to decide the truth. Same thing with lies. A lie believed as truth will affect you as if it's true. You ever watch a scary movie and then go to bed at night and look over in the corner and see a shadow that looks like the monster in the movie that you just watched and you can't sleep? That is not a monster. That's fake. But you've decided because of what you've seen in the movie that that's true and it wrecks your entire night's sleep. You're not supposed to watch that, right? 
supposed to watch love stories and stuff like that. Stop scaring yourself. What's wrong with you? And so you have to discern the voice and you have to decide the truth in in your life. You have to think about it. You have to, I I put in my notes, you got to fuel your heart. How do you fill your heart? What you listen to, who you listen to, what you talk about, what you read, what you listen to. I only got four. Who you listen to, what you talk about, what you read, what you listen to, who you listen to. This is a good one. You got to write this down. Who, don't listen to the wrong people. Who you listen to, what you, what you read, what, what you... Just keep going. I'm going to fuel my heart. That way when I get into a situation where I fall short and it feels like I'm hearing condemnation in my head, I can discern and decide the truth. And that's what it says in 2 Corinthians. I love this verse, chapter 10, verse number 5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension. It's talking about you. The arguments and the thoughts that come into your head, we demolish them that set themselves up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. I love that. That's one of them. That is, that is my top, top three coffee mug verses right there. You know what I'm talking about? They're going to make money off a Bible verse. That's one, right? We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to the knowledge of God. How do you know the knowledge of God? What you read, what you listen to, who you listen to, what you, what you, what's the last one I said? Anybody remember? I don't remember. We're just going to keep going. Go back and watch the podcast. Number three, number three, <laughs> number three, we're going to, we're going to depend on grace. We're going to discern the voice. We're going to decide the truth. And this one's important. We're going to depend on grace. And I love this part. And I thought it fits so well because that's what we're going to celebrate here at the end of our services today. Some of you are going to see people get baptized that you've known for a long time. And you're like, why are they getting baptized? They're bad. <laughs> like you're here to celebrate, but you're here to celebrate with a critical spirit. You're like, they're getting baptized, but they're not much better than me. And, you know, they did this. They've been going to church for three weeks and they're going to get in this water. And, you know, they think they're going to be better than me. And it's not, it has nothing to do with that. This, this, this water is not holy. I don't know what, what denomination or structure you come from. This is from a hose from a sink. Nobody's prayed over it. In fact, we were trying to heat it up because the heater turned off today, right? So sorry about this. Really going. You know, in America, people over in Africa, they get, they get in brown water, get baptized with piranhas, right? They don't care. In America, we're over here just testing it out, stirring it. Does that have chlorine in it, right? And so <laughs> there, is, there is nothing significant about these baptism tanks. What's significant is, is what's happening. And what's happening is, is somebody's experience, this grace of God that knows no end. There's a grace that knows no shame. Like there's this, this shame, like you, it just overtakes shame. Like it just, it's just there. When you mess up, it's God's grace. The Bible says where sin increases, grace increases all the more. And there's this, this, this that's what the message of Jesus is. I don't know about you, but uh, a couple years ago, I don't know if you ever made a mess, try to clean it up by yourself and it gets worse. So kids do that. I usually, I, if I talk about this, I'll talk about my kids, be like, hey, they're so stupid, right? I do the same thing. A couple years ago, I put this, uh, this, this, this luggage rack on the top of my, my 2007 Jeep Commander, and I drove 21 miles to uh, the beaches of Georgia, Orange Beach, and we, we drove, and, and this thing, uh, I didn't have the right, like, run the rails, and so I just bought it off Facebook Marketplace, and I just strapped it to the top of my car and prayed the entire way that it didn't fly off. 
And the whole trip, it was going. My wife's like, are we okay? I'm like, we're fine. Turn the radio up, right? And all we drove down. And uh, we drove back, and it never came off. We were fine. And uh, we had some other stories. We got stuck in a parking garage one time. It was awesome. And so I got back, and like a year later, the top of my roof, it started like bump, bump, buckling like this everywhere. And uh, it was flaking, and underneath was rust because it had bumped so much like this, and it rained that it caused it, caused it to, 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 to be ruined, and it rusted, and it popped. And so I started trying to fix it on my own. I took a wire brush. I started scraping stuff off. The more I scraped stuff off, the more paint came off. I got spray paint. I spray painted it. Card never recovered. I sold it to a guy in Reading. He sent me pictures. He fixed it all because he knew what he was doing. Like when I had it, it literally just looked like a shell of itself. And I, I just, I think that's what we do. We, we mess up. We just want to kind of clean it up ourselves. It's, we, you know, let me figure it out. Let, let, let me, let me you know, figure out a way to think through this. Let me figure out a way to walk through this. Let me figure out a way to go through church like this. Let me figure this out. And here's the thing about, about God. God, he doesn't ask you to clean your mess up. He just asks you to invite him in. That's what these people are doing today. They didn't ask, they didn't say, here I am, God, I cleaned myself up. They came here and they didn't know Christ and they weren't following him and they were struggling through life. Maybe they were struggling with shame or bitterness or anything else we're talking about. And they meet Christ and they say, here, God, you can have me. You can fix me up. I'll I'll, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you call me to do. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. That's baptism. That's how you know you're ready to get baptized. Like, I'll talk to you. Am I ready to get baptized? I don't know if you've met Christ. Have you received his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his hope? Do you realize without him you're nothing and you can't do it on your, no, on your own? You're not impressive. You're not too religious. You're not too good. You, you're, you're nothing without Jesus Christ. Yes, I realize that. Then it's time for you to follow him into the, the, the baptism tank and say, you know what? From this day forward, I'm giving my life to Christ. I'm going to follow him with all my heart. He's all I need. I'm going to step into the grace. I'm just telling you, if you want to walk through shame, you got to live your life. you got to live your life understanding and embracing the grace of God. And so I love to end like this. I, I, I have a sermon that I, if, you, if, I, if they said preach, preach a sermon, right, your favorite sermon. I have one sermon uh, that God gave me years ago on Easter uh, that I love. And it, it's built with Judas and Peter. And so if you're a Catholic person, you know Peter as your first pope. If you're a Protestant like me, you know Peter as the biggest idiot in the Bible. That's, I mean, he's like, I love Peter. Like, he, Peter and me, we on the same level. We get to heaven, we're going to be in the same club, right? And so, I love Peter. And so, Peter does the same thing Judas does. The exact same thing. He don't sell Jesus out for 30 silver coins. He sells them out for free. Free. Worst part about Peter is Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the crow crows or the, 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 the chicken, whatever, does this thing, cock-a-doodle-doo, right? Like, before that happens, you're going to do it. And he still did it. He was so weak in that moment, the Bible says that a little girl asked him, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he, even to a little girl, he denies Jesus. The Bible says in the Gospels that he goes out when he, when he realizes that he denied Jesus three times and the rooster crows, he goes out three times, and, uh, or he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Like, he, he's done. Jesus goes in the grave, and he comes back from the dead. And uh, Peter is so terrified that he's done, that Jesus is done with him, that he goes back to his old way of life with his being a fisherman. He wasn't even a good fisherman. He was just a fisherman. And the Bible says that Jesus comes and meets him on the beach. It's the most beautiful moment 
uh, of the building of the early church because Peter would be, the, the rock would be a part of building the early church. And Jesus meets him on the beach and uh, three times at, over, over a fish dinner, right? He asks him, do you love me? And, and Peter says, I love you. He says, go feed my sheep. Three times, one for every time he denied him. Jesus says, I forgive you, but not only do I forgive you, I want to use you. Go out and build my church. He says, you're a candidate to be a preacher of my gospel because you've received the grace that I want you to go preach about. So what's the difference? If I was to think about it, you have, you have Judas, you have Peter. So there's, there's somebody here today, you've been through something and then somebody on this other side of the room been through the exact same thing. Maybe not the exact same way made the exact same decision, been through the exact same thing, you know, made the same mistakes. And this person over here during worship, uh, they're free. They're free. They have hope. They lift their hands. They've been through that though. But they've received Christ and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And they don't carry around shame anymore. And this person over here, you're like Judas. Like you haven't given Jesus a chance yet and you're actually dying in your shame. And the person on this side of the room wants to tell you, just walk towards Jesus today. Just let Jesus meet you at the beach today because the same Jesus that met me in my sorrow, in my, in my shame, in my pain will meet you if he, if he let him. So what's the difference between Peter and Judas is Peter gave Jesus a chance. He stayed alive long enough for Jesus to meet him at the beach to forgive him. That's the only difference. I'm going to blow your mind. If Judas would have stayed, along, stayed alive just a few days later, what do you think would happen to Judas? Jesus would have found Judas and said, hey, man, you need grace. You messed up, but you're not messed up. You made a mistake, but you're not a mistake. I still have a purpose and a plan for your life. I want to use you. I want you to preach about grace that I'm about to extend to you. Let's go change the world. Same thing he said to Peter. I'm just telling you, if you're here today, your heart's still beating, there's freedom in this room. There's hope in this room. There, there's mercy in this room. You can live a life without shame in this room. God's not asking you to stay there. He doesn't want you to die there. He doesn't want you to pay it back. He wants you to keep walking. You're listening to the wrong voices. You're listening to the wrong truth. They're lies. Lies believe it. Truth will affect you as if they're truth. And so today you're going to step into real truth and you're going to embrace it. And the real truth is the grace of God knows no ends. That's the truth. Knows no ends. If you would just say, hey, come, come in. Come in, clean up my mess. Here I am, Lord, I need, I need you. The Bible says that's the first step. You humble yourself before God. And the Bible says that he'll meet you, he'll lift you up. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet? And would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes as we prepare our, our, ourselves to go into this time of baptism? And maybe you don't know Christ, but you need to. Here's what I found. You can be in church your whole life and not know Jesus. You can be in church for the very first Sunday and you can meet Jesus. Sometimes we do that. We'll be like, hey, I haven't been here long enough or I've been here too long and this is kind of the way that I am. But all of us are on different journeys. No pun intended. And God speaks to us and meets us all at different paces and different moments. But what I do, what I know is no matter how long you've been here, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you carry into this place, shame has no place in your life. Shame has no place. That voice of condemnation, that ridicule, that confusion, that voice that tells you to keep it quiet, that voice that tells you that nobody will understand the things that you've done or been through, that nobody else gets it, that everybody else has it all together, that voice that tells you just make it a few more moments. He's going to pray. I've been here before. 
The piano starts, they pray, they close, we leave. I'm gonna be okay, I just need to make it through. The voice that tells you you're gonna be okay, you just keep carrying it, pay it back a little bit more, hold it a little longer. They are, that's all lies. There's another voice, a still soft voice, the voice of the Spirit of God. The Bible says he knocks at the door of people's hearts. Maybe you can feel it right now physically. And that voice is saying, not another moment, not another day. Not another breath do I want you to carry around this shame. My forgiveness, my hope, my mercy, they're here right now in this moment. The Spirit of God is revealing the love of God through the message of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? He came to this earth. When he was 33 years old, they put him on a cross. But he said this, he said, nobody's taking my life, I'm laying it down. I'm gonna shed my blood for the atonement of our sins, the sins of this world, past, present, and future. Jesus said, I'm gonna be put in a tomb, but on the third day, I'm gonna come back to life. And it's through my resurrection that sins are forgiven, that hell is defeated, that people can know that they know they can be in heaven with me when they take their last breath on this earth. That victory is had. It's through me you become a brand new person. What do you do? The Bible says when you hear that message and you experience that drawing, the Bible says that if you would confess with your mouth and you would believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you would put your faith, your hope, and trust in him. That he would come into your life and he would begin to do a work that you can never do on your own. He'd begin to heal. He'd begin to set free. Maybe you can hear the voice, the voice of Jesus. What does he say? My heart's breaking. Because you're like a sheep without a shepherd. You've gone through this life and this life has broken you. But I came that you may have life and life to the fullest. And I'm here right now. And if you ask, I'll come into your life. I'll heal you and I'll make you whole. So as we get ready to pray, maybe you're carrying around shame right now, but it's done. It's over. It's time for you to stop dying there. It's time for you to stop paying it back. It's time for you to stop being overwhelmed by it. It's time for you to walk in freedom. I don't know what you've done or where you've been, but I know what Jesus did and I know he's here right now. And I know he'll meet you if you ask him. I know we'll meet you here if you ask him. So with nobody looking around in this moment, here in Montgomeryville watching online, you say, hey, pastor, that's me. I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. I haven't been to church before. Or man, I've been to church for many years. I used to know Christ, but I've walked away. Today's my day. I need to recommit. I need to commit my life. I need to give my heart to Jesus Christ. If that's you all over this place, I want to pray with you as we close. But would you do me a favor with a lot of faith, a lot of courage, not worried about the person to your right or left, just you and God. You would say, hey, pastor, I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. Today's going to be a day of victory in my life. I'm walking out of shame, and I'm walking towards God's truth. If that's you all over this place, would you shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, pastor, that's me. I see a hand right here. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? Come on, just keep your hand held high for a second. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I see another hand. Is there anybody else? If you're in Montgomeryville, would you just keep your hand held high? Let's begin to pray all over this house. Would you repeat after me? Say, Jesus, thank you for this day. Jesus, today I put my life in your hands. I believe in what you did for me on that cross. And Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead and it's through you 
that I become a brand new person. Jesus, today, my shame is gone. I'm filled with peace. I'm filled with hope. And Jesus, I'm filled with your victory. In your name we pray. All over this house, let's shout amen together. Let's clap together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message, or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.